The voice of Motown, West Virginia's leader in news, analysis, and rumors, proudly presents the Voice of Motown podcast, featuring your boys, Brandon and Tyler. Take it away, gentlemen. Today, we will be covering West Virginia basketball and the news of Jared Dagey finding a new home. This is the Voice of Motown podcast. I'm Tyler Pepe. And I'm Brandon Cork, and this is a WVU sports podcast by two suffering WVU fans. All right, before we get started, I just want to encourage everybody to follow our social media accounts on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Look for the Voice of Motown podcast. Then that's a different Voice of Motown account uh, than Brad's Voice of Motown. Um, so make sure you're following the both the Voice of Motown podcast and Brad's Voice of Motown accounts. And if you uh, you know ever want to feel want to shoot us some feedback or some comments, feel free to shoot us a message, um, comments, tweets, anything to reach out to us. And uh, make sure to follow us and rate us on Spotify, Apple, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, we try to be everywhere. And then also, if you like what you hear, consider dropping us a donation. Um, the link is in our description. Always helps out. Um, you know, allows us to put some more money into uh, editing software and tech and you know any other thing that could improve the podcast experience so um you know we appreciate your listeners and uh we hope you appreciate us absolutely and lastly look for brandon's articles on the voice of morgantown's website and social media accounts now that we have that out of the way let's get into it former west virginia mountaineer quarterback jared dagey has announced that he will be transferring to western kentucky very interesting choice because Western Kentucky's quarterback this past season is Bailey Zappi, and he broke the single season passing yards and passing touchdowns record. He threw for over 5,900 yards and for 62 touchdowns. He announced that he would be entering the NFL draft, which leaves a void at quarterback for the Hilltoppers, and Deggy hopes to be the man to fill those shoes. If Jarrett wants to throw a lot in his final collegiate season, then he couldn't have picked a better location. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's a really interesting situation, especially um, when we kind of saw Jarrett struggle in, um, you know, more that pass heavy role here this past year and Western Kentucky. I mean, they're a team who, you know, obviously by Zappy's records loves to pass the ball. They passed the ball over 686 times to only 349 rushing attempts last season. Um, so a very, very pass heavy team. Um, and it's a team that's losing their top two targets at wide receiver too, with Jareth Stearns going pro Mitchell Tinsley transferring to Penn state. Um, and you know, Tyson Helton, um, who is the former, who's their head coach, former offensive coordinator at Tennessee. He was also the passing game coordinator under his brother, Clay Helton at USC. Um, so he's the guy who really likes to pass the ball and that's his MO. So it's interesting that, you know, what, um, what Tyson saw in Jarrett to, to bring him in. And maybe it's something that, you know, he goes out and has a good season, but it's going to be really interesting to see because, you know, how's he going to do in a system that's going to require him to throw the ball over the field? Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Not only is Western Kentucky losing their top two wide receivers, but they're also losing their offensive coordinator, Zach Kitley, who's actually going to Texas Tech to be their offensive coordinator. So we'll be seeing him next year. 
So it's a bit of a rebuilding season for the Hilltoppers. Um, but if they need a veteran quarterback and Daigie, you know, he has a very good chance of filling that role for them. So maybe he can be a bridge quarterback for um, whoever is going to be their future. I wish Daigie all the best. Um, I really do hope he has a great final season. It was just a situation that it really benefited both sides, him leaving. It benefited West Virginia, but it also benefited him because now um, more than likely he's going to a place where he can, you know, play out his final season. And I had very similar feelings when Dana Holgerson left West Virginia as well. I had no hate towards him, but it was just time for both sides to move on. And I feel the same way with Jarrett. So I, I hope he has success, but, um, you know, his time at West Virginia just had to come to an end. Yeah, I agree. I mean, um, it's just hard for him to come back next season. I do think Western Kentucky's interesting. Um, I did anticipate him to step down to, uh, you know, a group of five school. Um, Western Kentucky is kind of probably one of the tougher um, roles to step into. You know, we talked about Bailey Zappi, but they also finished first in the Conference USA East last year. So, you know, this is a team that's had two nine-win seasons over the past three years. Last year was kind of a down year. Um, not last year, but the year before that. Um, but you know, it, it, it's a program that obviously has some expectations and, you know, Tyson Helton could be an up and coming coach. Like I said, two, nine win seasons in his three years there. Um, and very pass heavy. So, um, definitely seems like he wants to challenge himself, which is good. Um, and it's going to be really interesting. Like I said, to, to watch, to see how he performs because, you know, it's going to give us some insight too, to see if, you know, maybe Jarrett could succeed as a pass heavy quarterback in a different system, one with more of an identity, like we've talked about before, that it seems like the previous play callers at WVU, now that um, Graham Harrell's here, um, you know, really didn't have. Um, so it's just really interesting. And then um, one other thing I have for football no- news is that we did get a new commit to football, Taron Fitzpatrick. He will be joining as a preferred walk-on. Um, he played wide receiver and defensive back for George Washington High School out of Charleston. Um, he is six foot four. Um, and it sounds like from everything I've read, he's probably going to at least start out in the wide receiver room, probably because of his size and because of our lack of depth there. Um, and he did have a solid season um, in his senior year at George Washington with 705 yards receiving and nine touchdowns. Um, so do you have any thoughts about Taron? Yeah, I'm pretty pumped. I, I saw him uh, put something out on Twitter that he committed. And I yeah, I started looking into him a little bit. He's six foot four. You know, he's got to love that. Um but yeah, I mean, if he can just put it all together and hopefully we can coach him up, which has really been the big knock on, um, you know, West Virginia the past few years is they've been great bringing in these these um, highly recruited guys. Now, it sounds like he's not a highly recruited guy, but I mean, he's got all the physical attributes. So hopefully our coaching staff can build him up because you can always use a six foot four wide receiver on the football field. Definitely. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how he develops. I mean. Um, there's definitely gonna be opportunity, especially if there's any injuries that come up this year, um, you know, outside of the, the five or six guys we have right now, there, there's really no one. I mean, um, so there's opportunity there. If he's someone who has potential, you know, to steal some snaps here and there, he could really mark out a role for himself and have the opportunity to develop through seeing playing time. Now, I wouldn't necessarily expect him to play next year, but you know, we do have, we do still have some upperclassmen on the team who will be leaving in the next couple of years. So by his redshirt freshman, redshirt sophomore year, we would have a better sense to see if um, he can make some noise in that wide receiver room. 
Yeah, absolutely. You make a good point. It's a good situation to come into with, um, you know, some seniors expecting to play a lot next year, but then the following year, it's going to be wide open. And, uh, you know, he's, he's going to have a chance to learn under guys like Bryce Ford Wheaton, who has a lot of experience and is very talented. So uh, it's a great situation, not only for us, but for him as well. Absolutely. And that's all I had for football. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's all I got too. So uh, let's get into basketball, guys. The the Baylor game, it, it, uh, it just ended a few hours ago. The West Virginia Mountaineers are defeated by the number five Baylor Bears by the score of 77 to 68. Um, just quick thoughts on, you know, how the first half went, because although the score differential wasn't um, a big difference between the first half and the second half, um, it, it's, it did seem like two different games in the first half. There were a lot of turnovers early. Um, at first it was West Virginia forcing the takeaways, but then Baylor started disrupting the Mountaineers. They forced four early turnovers and then went on a 24 to five run. But then West Virginia went on a run themselves outscoring Baylor 14, nothing over a four minute period. All of this resulted in a 37 to 33 halftime lead for the Baylor Bears. What are your thoughts on the first half of the game? Yeah, the the first, you know, 5 or 10 minutes in my opinion were really strange cuz it seemed like Baylor, you know, had an idea of how they wanted to attack us. They wanted to get up the court quick. They wanted to run in transition and um there was buckets to be had. I mean, they were dunking the ball um, pitching, getting the ball inside, getting open shots all over the court, just really good ball movement. And that's kind of similar to what Kansas did to us. Just great ball movement, um, figuring out how to get the ball to the open guy and making shots. Um, WVU kind of settled down. Um, you know, they started getting back on defense and took that away, but for a little bit there, WVU seemed content to kind of run with them. It seemed like it was just at times a track meet going back and forth where both teams are running up and down the court and, you know, outside of Jalen Bridges, None of West Virginia players are really built to kind of play that style of game that, you know, uh, Sherman and McNeil and, you know, the bigs, you know, they're half court players. That's where they're best at their most efficient. So I thought it was really strange that whenever Baylor wanted to push the tempo, WVU kind of just tried to match it. Um, And that did put us in the hole, like you said, with that 24 to five run early on. So uh, I'm glad they kind of corrected that, but they did that against Kansas a little bit too, where Kansas wanted to push the tempo and for whatever reason, WVU wanted to play at their pace instead of settling things down. Um, I don't know if that's part of the game plan to try to fatigue the team, uh, the other team a little bit, or if it was just they got caught up in the moment and um, were playing outside of their scheme. But um, it's something that I hope that they kind of fix and address because, you know, this isn't a running team. I thought early in the season that we would do better in a more up-tempo system, but the more and more I, I kind of look at the stats and what the players are doing, we do really well in a structured half-court system. I'm with you. Yeah, even going back a couple games, the Oklahoma State game, which we were in control of for uh, you know a good majority of that game, there was a point in the second half where Oklahoma State went on a little run, and that's exactly what happened. Um, you know, they tried making it sloppy and fast paced, and West Virginia played right into their hands, and they slowly crawled back into it. And what um, allowed West Virginia to regain the lead in the OK State game? was, um, you know, they start slowing down, getting inside, getting fouled, free throws. And so I'm with you. We're, we're a better half-court team than the uh, quick pace like we're used to seeing from Press Virginia. Um, 
Some more quick notes in the first half. About a third of West Virginia's first half offense came from free throws, going 10 for 10 in the first half. Um, I'll expand on the free throws in a later segment because they only went three of six from the line in the second half. Uh, a couple other quick notes. Um, Njai got some early playing time in the first half, but ultimately he only played three total minutes. Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, I didn't really, you know, I saw him out there a little bit. Um, you know, he was big. He was in the way. Um, other than that, that's kind of all I noticed about him. Um, I do think that he's someone that, you know, by the time he's a senior, he should be able to contribute, you know, meaningful minutes. Um, but he's just so raw. Um, and, you know, it takes time to build, put on the weight. It takes time to learn the system. It takes time to, you know, be more impactful. But I do think with his size and his length, he could be a good rim protector eventually. I just don't think – I still think it's way too early for him. Um, I was impressed by Kerrigan. Um, I like the minutes that he played. Um, so I would kind of like to see him more because it seems like he's kind of been – the odd man out in more recent games with Polly Cap and Gabe and Cottrell kind of taking the lion's share of those minutes. But Kerrigan played great today and hope to see him more. He did. And Polly Cap didn't get a lot of playing time, which um, I don't know how um, Coach Huggins makes those decisions because it seems like some games he relies heavily on Polly Polly Cap and other games it's Kerrigan. So I don't know if he's seeing a matchup or if he's just going with a hot hand, but um, is there any indicators that you can figure out why he chooses one over the other some games? I feel like Kerrigan is more bouncy. He's more athletic, um, where where Policap kind of is more stout. He plays a little bit more consistent, conservative defense. He will block some shots with his length, you know, his, his decent athleticism. But I think Kerrigan, I mean, you saw it when they were trying to throw lobs in there to the big man Baylor was, and he was just swatting him out of the way. You know, he could kind of keep up with those big guys more than those athletic big guys of Baylor. It's important to say that athletic because they were running up and down the court with the guards. But, um, you know, he could keep pace with them a little bit better than anyone else that WVU has. Um, plus, he's a little bit bigger. I think he's six foot nine, where Paula Cap is, you know, six eight, six seven. Um, same with Gabe. He's six seven. So, you know, you have that little bit of extra size. You have the extra athleticism, and it allows him to at least, you know, stop the ball from um, getting to where the offense wants the ball to go to. Um, now, whether if he's a better post defender than Policap, I'm not sure if he's a better rebounder. I'm not sure about that either, but um, it's a different look and, you know, the athleticism helps. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Getting into the second half, very physical. And it seemed like West Virginia was not getting a lot of the calls that Baylor was getting. But I'm not going to blame the loss on that. Baylor's obviously a very good team, and they were hitting some tough shots towards the end there. So, um, you know, add in the endless amount of layups that WVU missed, and it all adds up to a loss. So what are your overall thoughts on the game? Yeah, well, first about the, the second half. I mean, it was just – it was a game where it seemed like the first half of the second half was completely different than the second half of the second half. Um <laughs> You know, Baylor went six of 11 for three in the second half. Um, it seems like in games where we lose, teams get hot from there, and Baylor did in the second half. But it, like, like I said, it was mostly about that last 10 minutes of the second half. Um, so whenever WVU hit 59 points um, in the second half, they had about six minutes left to go in the game. Um, they had two missed free throws by Gabe, three missed threes by Taz, three offensive rebounds allowed. So Baylor got three offensive rebounds. They had two turnovers, 
and only four field goal attempts. Only one of their field goal attempts was made, and that was on a Curry jumper. Um, I didn't include baskets after the minute mark because when the game was about a minute left, the game was over, so it was just kind of you know a crapshoot. But that was the whole six minutes. You know, we had four field goal attempts, we had two turnovers, we allowed Baylor to get three offensive rebounds. Um, but we just kind of completely fell apart at the seams under pressure. And you know, after the Kansas game, which we'll talk about, you know, in our overall thoughts after this, um, you know, it seemed like WVU kind of struggled with the crowd. Um, that was my initial takeaway. Um, you know, playing on the road, especially at Allen Fieldhouse, is tough. But they were at home this game, and they still fell apart. So I'm not sure what caused that. And it was really concerning how badly they just fell apart in that last half of the second half. Um, you know, and I, I looked at kind of the big turning point was, and for whatever reason, after this point, WVU kind of fell apart. But whenever McNeil fouled Mayer on that three-point shot, he made those th- three threes. WVU had the lead. I think they are, they're leading by one then. Mayer made all three of his free throws. Baylor was up by two. And um, WVU just couldn't get back into it. Um, so really, really strange how, how badly we fell apart. And another stat that I thought was interesting um, is that there were only three field goals made by non-Malik Curry players on WVU after the 10-minute mark. Um, after the 10-minute mark, three players – or. Uh, uh, there are three baskets made by people who weren't Millie Curry for seven points. Curry made five field goals after the 10 minute mark for 10 points. So he outscored the entire rest of the team in that minute. And that just kind of goes to show you how much everyone else just vanished off the face of the earth. McNeil, Sherman, Bridges, everyone gone. And Curry had to carry the team. And um, that's a tough situation for anyone. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. And I want to dive into, um, you know, a lot of different players on the team in a little bit. But, um, you know, our shooting percentage has just been really low these past few games. Um, You know, only 39% tonight, only 33 from three. And if you compare that to Baylor, they shot 46% and 44 from three. So that's just a recipe for disaster if you're not getting to the free throw line, which, you know, um, like we said earlier, that's what kept them in the first half going 10 for 10, but then only three points from the foul line in the second half. So, uh, you know, that could have been a big difference. Also this game in the Kansas game, it seems like we're just kind of getting beat up in the paint. I mean, Kansas was an absolute nightmare allowing over 50 points in the paint tonight. Um, only 28 for Baylor, but still that's, that's a lot of easy buckets. Yeah, I went through and I counted um, using the the shot chart on ESPN. Every shot that was attempted by either Baylor or West Virginia inside the restricted area, so that little arc under the basket, um, not just in the paint. Um, so Baylor was 8 for 13 on the night in that restricted area for 62%. WVU took 16 shots there, so we got three more. We made five. 31% from inside the restricted area. Now, everyone remember, the restricted area is four feet or less from the basket. We missed 11 shots from four feet or less from the basket. That's atrocious. Like, where do we have someone there, like you said, who can make a layup, who can make a little shot? And I understand their shots are contested, but, you know, you you can't shoot 31% from there. Like, there are players probably in Division II who can shoot better than 31% contested 
inside that restricted area. And we didn't have anyone who could do it today. And that's a huge, huge problem because, you know, when I get into the overall stats over the past few games later, you know, we'll kind of see how badly that shooting is. And because of how bad we're shooting there, it's an area that no one really goes to, you know, we're shooting a lot less there than other teams. And like you said, with Kansas and Baylor, they get in that area and they score. Um, and WVU really, really needs to find a way to get better there. I mean, Malik Curry right now is the best player on the team at doing it, but he's, you know, six foot maybe. Um, where's anyone else who can make that shot? Yeah, um, you know, we we knew this would catch up to us eventually, but we just have no inside presence, and um, which which is okay some games, but when you're getting shots inside like we were tonight, you do have to hit some of those. I mean, if they just hit a few, we're shooting in the 40 percentile instead of under it, which is huge. I mean, yeah, the game was over with a minute left, but we only lost to Baylor by, what, 11 points? So, I mean, if you just hit a few of those inside buckets, maybe you're in the game with a minute left and maybe you make a comeback like WVU has done so many times this year. So it is very frustrating when you look back on a tough game like, you know, number five ranked Baylor, and it could have been completely different if you just make a couple layups. Yeah. And I had a couple more interesting notes um, on the game. So Matthew Mayer, you know, the tall white guy who – made five threes. Guess how many threes he made before today throughout all of big, big 12 play. It's not high. He's a pretty good three point shooter. I thought, is it five, four made threes in big 12 play before this game. And he actually shocks me because he's, he's normally a pretty decent outside shooter. Yeah. I went through and I counted because I'm like, who is this guy? (laughs) (laughs) I remember him even from last year. (laughs) Well, since we brought him up, let's talk about that play with him and Kerrigan. Have you ever seen a play like that in your life where he is literally like they're almost like doing a circus act where they're back to back, just balancing on Kerrigan's back? Oh, man, that was crazy. I was, you know, the announcers were talking about how he could have went up, but I don't know how Kerrigan could have gone up. I mean, he was over top of him. I mean, maybe if Kerrigan was standing upright, but even <laughs> then, I mean, the mayor was fully committed to, to doing something there and. He went on, he, he got taken for a ride. <laughs> yeah. Plus those tall guys like Kerrigan. I mean, they always have back issues when someone's literally all their weight is on their, your back like that. You know, if you jump straight up in the air, you might, you know, really tweak something. So I don't blame them for kind of just standing there thinking like, what in the world's happening right now? Yeah. And I was really surprised, you know, you talked about the, the fouls um, earlier in the second half. Um, and it was really strange because it seemed like Baylor for the, in the first like 10 minutes or so Baylor was up to five team fouls pretty quickly. I want to say within the first five minutes or so, five or seven minutes. And then for whatever reason, after that, you know, I want to say it was after the 10 minute mark, they were still at five fouls. Cause I wasn't, I was watching the game, but I wasn't really paying attention to how many fouls Baylor had. And it was just strange how, how the officiating kind of changed. And it kind of, it didn't really affect, you know, either team really negatively. It's just that it wasn't really called the same way from beginning to end. Um, I don't think WVU got robbed on too many foul calls. Um, you know, I do think there's a couple missed foul calls against Baylor. Not that they would have changed the game. But, you know, that, that's one of my big complaints about refs is if you want to overcall fouls, then overcall fouls. If you want to undercall fouls, then undercall them. But do it consistently from beginning to end so the players know what rules they're playing within. 
um, when you switch it up three quarters of the way throughout the game or whatever it would be. Um, it's really frustrating as a fan and also, you know, as a player, it has to be super frustrating. Yeah, I agree. It even seemed like they were kind of changing it from possession to possession. They were even commenting on it on the on the broadcast. Uh, you, you know, WVU was hacked twice underneath the bucket, which, like you said, if that's how they're calling the game, fine. I have no problem with that. But then immediately Baylor gets the ball, takes it to the other end. And they, they call like almost a phantom foul on West Virginia and, and, and Baylor gets two free throws. Like they, they definitely just got to be consistent. I'm with you. I don't mind if some refs let them play. I don't mind if some refs want to call a lot. In fact, I, I like watching a game more when they're kind of letting a lot of it go and they're just letting the, the game kind of flow. But I mean, you can't be switching what you're calling from possession to possession. Like the, the players are just not going to catch on. Yeah. It's super frustrating. And, you know, kind of just goes back to, you know, things that I think most fans say, and it's that we all come to watch the players. We don't come to watch the refs. Yeah. Yeah. Not unless it's blatant, just, you know, let the players decide the outcome. Sure. Um, So that's a bit about all I had for Baylor. Um, My last note on the game is this is the third consecutive game that WVU has been held under 40% from the field. And I think that's a good segue into um, the previous three or four games that we haven't covered yet. Yeah, for sure. So um, I kind of want to dive into just a couple specific players. You you kind of already mentioned them. I really like the way Malik Curry has played in the last two games. Um, But at the same time, this has been the, the theme with him all year. Can he consistently put up those numbers and really be that third scoring option for us because he'll have a couple solid games and then he'll have a string of games where he's just not heavily involved in the offense. So how do you think Malik can keep this hot streak going? Cause the past two games, he's been great. I think a lot of it has to do with, um, you know, Taz, which I'll, I'll talk about him maybe, you know, here in a couple minutes, but um, you know, I think they need him. I mean, right now, you know, whenever Taz was out, um, we needed a guy who could handle the ball and create his own shot. Um, Jalen kind of tried his hand at it. And he did okay, but you know Curry's kind of that guy. He's a guy who, when he has the ball in his hands, he tries to find a way to the rim, tries to find a way to his spots. He knows how to get there, um, and that's one thing that you know I think the players that we hope step up haven't found yet. I mean, you look at Jalen Bridges; he doesn't really have a spot he likes to get to. He just kind of takes the open shot, gets to the you know high percentage areas but he doesn't know what he's good at yet. You know, you look at what Taz Sherman does, you look at what Sean McNeil does and what Malik Curry do. They know what they're good at and they find out a way to get to those spots. And I think that's something that Curry has found in the past few games is that he knows how to get to the inside, how to get to the free throw line. And that's where he's getting all his points from. Um, And he's done a great job on it. Now it depends on how his success is going to continue on how, um, big 12 teams continue to guard him and what they're going to let him do and what his next counter move is. Yeah. And that flows perfectly into the next guy, Jalen Bridges. I mean, my favorite player, I bring him up every podcast and that's because honestly, like probably on the team, he is my favorite player because, um, I, I just think he has so much talent and I honestly like the way he's been playing these past few games other than the Kansas state game where he only shot the ball twice. 
And tonight versus Baylor was, you know, kind of a below average performance. But, um, you know, he's been more aggressive lately and contributing on the scoreboard. And a lot of that was because he was getting to the free throw line and making his shots. Um, You know, I loved his aggressiveness in the Oklahoma State game. I can't think of any of his points coming away from the basket that game. And he finished with 22 points, going 10 for 10 from the line. He either scored real close to the rim or he got to the foul line. And I would love it if this becomes more of his primary game, because prior to this, Jalen would shoot a lot of jumpers. And I still think he's very capable of making jumpers. He's a good shooter. But if he can really consistently be a player who drives to the rim, gets to the foul line, I think he can become a very special player. So hopefully we see more of that from him throughout conference play. Because tonight against Baylor, he had zero free throws, and it wasn't a very good outing from him. So what do you think? Yeah, I like the way he's been playing. Like you said, you know, the past four games, um, he shot more than 10 shot attempts in three of the past four. Um, he has 11 points per game, and that includes that two-point stinker he had against Kansas State. Um, and like you said, I love the way that he's been more aggressive, um, not afraid to take his own shot, not afraid to you know, drive the ball a little bit, which is something that I've complained about pretty early in the season where, you know, he didn't really challenge the guy in front of him to guard him. Um, So I really like that. Um, There's only kind of one complaint that I've had over the past four games with him. And it's that for whatever reason, his three point shot is not falling. I don't know if he's banged up. I don't know, you know, what's going on, but he's attempting about four threes per game still. And he's only shooting 19%. Um, And that's something that, you know, if you remember in non-conference play, I want to say he was somewhere around 50% from three and it's just a nosedive since then. So, um, and he's still getting good looks. I mean, there were several times today where he had some really clean, wide open looks and, you know, they just weren't going in. Um, so I, I don't know if it's, he's thinking too much. I don't know if maybe he has a little nagging injury in his arm or something that's affecting him. I don't know. I don't want to speculate, but um, it's really strange how much he's dropped off because even last year he was a solid three point shooter. Yeah, for sure. Um, Bridges and Taz had a lot of nice three-point looks tonight, and unfortunately, they just weren't falling for us. Um, another player, Isaiah Cottrell, he's, he's been playing aggressive lately as well, which I love, but his shot has been a nightmare, though. He's 5 for 25, 20% in the past four games. And I know I said I want him to keep shooting out of this funk, just keep putting shots up. And I still believe that, you know, I have no problem with him shooting the ball a lot, but uh, what do you think the issue is? Because obviously, you know, he's more talented than, than what he's been showing us lately. So how can he get out of this slump? Yeah, I think part of it's just probably being in his own head too much. I mean, once you get into one of those funks, you really need to kind of have a game where you're going like five or five from five from six from the field or something to kind of make you start feeling good. And it doesn't really matter what you do in practice because, you know, once you get onto that court and players are defending you differently, there's crowd noise and everything else, it's hard to adjust. So I think that's, it's mostly just mental because I mean, if you look at his jumper, it looks clean. He had a really nice beginning of the game where he made that nice, you know, free throw line jumper that just looked perfect. Um, And he, he hit a three too, um, but it didn't count because the shot clock expired. Um, which I, you know, was kind of a bummer for me because, you know, that would have been his first made three and I don't know how many games. 
Um, but, you know, you can kind of see the shooting stroke there. Um, the one thing I would like to see more of Cottrell is, you know, I know his shooting strokes there. I know that, you know, he can make those shots. I know, um, you know, with enough repetition, but I think he needs to kind of get back to basics and, you know, start finishing at the rim a little bit better because that's something like we've talked about we need, and he has the size and athleticism to do it. And the one shot that I think that you know he should continue practicing is that little post fadeaway that he has had. He's only done it two or three times in the past few games, but it's really pretty and it comes close almost every time. And I think if that's something that he can get to start falling consistently, like 50, 45% of the time, that's a real weapon because that's a tough shot to master and it's unblockable. I mean, that's a deadly shot to have in your arsenal. And if you can start off with that, you know, you can be up to 10 points a game in no time. Yeah, for sure. And he's got a very high arc, even on three pointers. So, I mean, if he can, you know, work on that move, it will be a tough one to block for sure. But, um, you know, if he wants to increase his playing time, he just has to start hitting buckets because we can't have, you know, his defense. It's not as good as Kerrigan's or, or polycap. So, um, you know, if, if you're coaching the team and you see the guy whose uh, best game is scoring and he's not scoring, of course, you're going to home and put someone else in because he's not helping you win at that point um so that takes me to west virginia's overall offense um you know this is just what i've kind of go ahead oh before before we jump to overall offense um i wanted to cover one more player go ahead yeah so um i want to talk about taz um so i have a conspiracy theory (laughs) i i think uh I think he's still not 100%. And I think, you know, we, we always hear those stories about players who get COVID and they say they're not the same afterwards. And I think, you know, it's the same for him. I mean, you know, looking at, so what I did is I looked at games against w, WVU played against quality opponents. So teams that are considered Q1 or Q2 in the net ratings, which I know some people don't like, but that's what I used um, so that we can kind of filter out kind of the garbage of opponents. So before he had COVID, he was shooting four point. He had four point two attempts at the rim. Um, he was shooting seven point two attempts per game from mid range, hitting thirty nine percent of his shots. Um, he was doing five attempts per game um, from three point range, shooting thirty one percent from there. Um, his defense out of all of those games, I think there were about uh, seven of them. He only had two defensive games where he was graded out as below, um, you know, the median line. He was averaging 18 points and three assists per game, and he had five three th- free throws per game. After he came back from COVID, COVID, he's only shooting 1.3 attempts at the rim. That's down three from before COVID. He's um, shooting three less mid-range attempts per game and shooting 6% less at 33%. Um, he is shooting more threes, 5.7 attempts per game. Um which is 0.7 more than he was shooting before, but he's down 2%, only shooting 29% from three. Um, In the past four games since he's been back, he's had half of the games where he has been graded out as a bad defender, and he's only averaging 11 points and two assists per game during those past four games. Um, And kind of what my read of that is, where you see the increase of three-point shots, it kind of seems like, you know, energy level you know, trying to conserve, trying to, you know, make something happen with less energy because you just don't feel right because maybe there's still something going on um, where your body isn't hundred percent yet. So you're trying to conserve so you can still play and same with the defense, you know, there are plays where it just seems like he just takes it off, which isn't something I've really seen from him defensively too much. Um, 
and I don't think he's not competing because that's not Taz like. So that's my theory. Um, do you have any thoughts on it? It's not a bad theory. I mean, you've definitely heard of athletes talking about this, whether it's football, whether it's basketball. So, um, you know, there could be something to that. But, I mean, I would also argue that, um, you know, the two games before COVID, UAB, um, he shot pretty low, and Youngstown State. I mean, other than Youngstown State, since UAB, the, the competition has been pretty tough. I mean, there's there's really no easy out in Big 12 play, and UAB was a quality team. So um, it could be increase in competition. Uh, you know, UConn's a decent team, and he had a nice game against them. But like I said, once the competition really upped is when you started to see his numbers, um, you know, his shooting percentage, I should say, really dip. So that could be it. It could be COVID and, you know, he could be banged up. Who knows? It's a it's a lot of tinfoil hat and speculation time because it is hard to figure out. He, he's a very good player. Maybe uh, we even talked about this before conference play started. We said these coaches in Big 12 are very, very smart. And if they know, you know, a majority of your offense goes through one player, they will take the ball out of that one player's hand and make someone else beat them. So. Um, there's a lot of factors and it's hard to say which one it is. Definitely. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's just something that, um, I'm hoping he can work through whatever it is, whether if it's physical or if it's schematic, because he is the hub of our offense. And that, you know, even though Curry's been playing really well lately, McNeil's had his moments, Bridges has had his moments. Taz has kind of been the one constant. And, um, if he's gonna, you know, kind of regress kind of down to a above average sort of level, that's going to make it really tough on the team. And we've seen that the past couple games. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. And, sen- and since we're kind of on the topic, let's talk about social media a little bit. And because, uh, you know, anyone on social media has seen that Taz and a few other players are complaining that, you know, fans are attacking them. And I kind of see both sides of it. Um, if you're an athlete, you are going to take some criticism. So, um you know, maybe stay off social media a little bit if you don't want to hear anything negative. But I am way more in uh, in favor of Taz and these other guys complaining. If you're a real West Virginia fan, do you really like take time out of your day and go complain directly to the player? I don't understand that at all. Like if you want to post something online like oh, West Virginia disappoints again, how frustrating, blah, blah, blah. The same stuff we always hear that's fine. You know, you're just blowing off steam, but if you're like personal messaging these people or tagging them with negativity, I really just don't get that. I, yeah, it's, I don't, I can't wrap my head around it. It's unbelievable. Really. I mean, you know, I I understand we're all fans and we want to see the best for our players and our team and everything else like that. But these players aren't going out there just to fail you. I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, you even look at like some of the top athletes in the game, you know, not just college basketball, but the NBA, you know, you have games where you have Steph Curry, who's made, you know, taking 20 shots and making four of them. He's not trying to tank the Warriors performance. He's had an off night. So, you know, blaming these kids who are trying to win, you know, and Taz Sherman came back to win. He didn't have to come back. He could be making money in Europe somewhere right now. Um, You know, you got to think about them. They're playing a game. They're playing a game where coaches know how important certain players are to that team. And they're going to make it hard for them, like we just talked about with Taz. Um, And it's just, it kind of goes to show, you know, how some of these fans kind of 
think that everything's easy and that everyone's kind of out to get them, which is ridiculous. I mean, they're just players. They're playing a game and people have bad days. You have bad days at work where, you know, maybe you're not as productive as you normally are. You know, you got to think of it like that too. And um, it's just a bad look. It's really bad. And it really makes me ashamed that we have fans in our fan base. And I know all teams have them, but I just wish that we could live in a world where people could just, you know, not be jerks, you know, to, to people who are just doing what they love to do. Yeah. Well, that's never going to stop. So um, <laughs> my advice would be, you know, if you want to complain, complain, but uh, you know, please just stop tagging guys or, uh, or personal messaging them. If they want to go out of their way to find negativity being said out there, then that's on the players. But if you're directly like putting it right in their face, then that's on you. Like, there's no other gray area here. I mean, that's just right. the way it is. Definitely. I mean, it's fair to like complain to your friends, like, but don't try to make the player feel bad about it. Don't put up extra stress on them. Cause I mean, you think about it too. Like, do you think, you know, them seeing a whole bunch of fans show up in their DMS telling them that they're awful and that they should just hang up their shoes and whatever. It's going to make them play better. Like what type of motivation are you trying to send there? Um, you know, these players, as we know, with the transporter, they don't have to be here. And if you want to, you know, bully them to, to a certain point, they can be gone tomorrow. And a lot of the a lot of schools across the country would love to have the players that we have on our team. So think before you tweet. Yeah, it's not helpful at all. So moving on from that. Um, yeah, like I was saying, just what I've observed since Big 12 play has started um, this, this is just, you know, if I'm coaching West Virginia, here is my recipe for success on offense. And just adding a disclaimer here, this is, you know, in no way a knock on coach hugs, um, or me acting like I know more than a future hall of famer. But from what I have observed over the past few games, West Virginia's offense is most successful when they're being aggressive and getting to the foul line, I think this team should focus on driving to the bucket and putting up shots, even if they are ugly. Now, I know, you know, this is a bad time to make this suggestion since we just missed a bunch of layups, but um, I still think that should be our game plan for starters. This will open up outside shooting. If you're constantly driving to the bucket, eventually defense is going to collapse and you'll open up those three-point shots more. Second, this forces um, your opponents to foul, and uh, that leads to free throws, but also you're forcing the opposing coach to pull some of their starters because they're getting into foul trouble early. Plus, West Virginia is not a very good shooting team. We've seen that over these past few games. Free throws is what got us back into the Kansas State game when we were down by 17, Free throws is what allowed West Virginia to maintain their second half lead versus Oklahoma State. And free throws is what allowed the Kansas game to be a two-point game at halftime. Because we all saw what happened in the second half when we weren't getting free throws. It was a blowout. So, um, you know, that's just my two cents. I think we should really, really focus on driving to the hoop and getting points closer to the bucket. What do you think? I agree to a point. Um, I do worry about kind of be being too heavily dependent on free throws, which I'm going to back this up with stats here in a minute. But, um, you know, because, you know, I'm thinking ahead to the tournament. I understand we have to get there first. But, it, you know, in tournament play, it seems like refs kind of more notoriously let people play in most instances. Um, and if you're relying on free throw attempts, it's going to get a little dicey. And 
up until the past three or four games, WVU has been atrocious at free throw shooting. So it's a really slippery slope to, to play from, um, you know, kind of, I do agree with attacking, you know, I, I think, you know, getting more shooters on the floor. It seems like a lot of the time to make up for poor interior defense. Um, you know, we're playing two big guys and that really hurts our spacing. Um, and I understand the logic behind it, but even when we're playing two big guys, our interior defense still wasn't great. So I would like to get more shooters on the floor. And like we talked about before, you know, five out, four out with more driving kicks, um, getting more cutters, more off ball movement. Jalen Bridges does that fantastically, but you know, you, uh, even we saw today with Sean McNeil, he can make those layups off the back cuts. He can go out there on fast breaks and score off the lay- layups. It's just, you know, he doesn't get really get those many opportunities. And I think we have enough guys that we can run more of a motion based offense where we're relying more on back cuts, I'm not saying go full beeline, but you know, something more similar to that. But, you know, the one thing that in the past three games I looked at stats for is that teams, the opposing teams are taking five more attempts per game at the rim than WVU are right now. They're making 60% of the shots in the past three games. WVU is only shooting 48%. Um, at the beginning of the season, we talked about how WVU seems to be a good jump shooting team. Um and it's just not showing up. And part of that is because I think teams can stay more attached to the perimeter. So teams are taking five more three-point attempts than WVU. And they're shooting 35%. WVU is only shooting 26% from three. Mid-range, WVU is taking six more shots from mid-range than opponents in the past three games. And WVU is shooting 31% on those mid-range attempts. So still not good. And this next one is kind of a tough one to kind of gauge on how WVU can improve on. But over the past three games, WVU has allowed five dunks against per game. while WVU is only averaging one dunk per game. And that's the most high efficiency shot you can get on there. And the only way you can get there is by getting open runs to the rim. And I don't think our offense is designed to do that. No, I don't either. No, Um, definitely not necessarily dunks but I, I do think um you know since big 12 play has started we have been pretty decent from the the foul line and i don't know i just feel like it's a good way to slow the game down it's a good way to get in the bonus and get some cheap points um i just feel like and we kind of saw it tonight that by the time the end of the game rolls around they just don't have legs anymore for jumpers we saw that with even taz missing a couple wide open threes um and it's frustrating so i don't know maybe we could get back to to being a good jump shooting team but um i just feel like we need to start finding alternatives because we i mean i was looking at some of the games we have coming up it's not like it's getting any easier over these next couple weeks yeah i i I mean i do think we need to shoot more from the rim i mean there's no reason not to i do think that right now the offense that we're running um is kind of holding us back a little bit. Um, and I understand it's more kind of based around getting shot makers open, getting Taz open, getting Sean open. And then you have Jalen on the back cuts. Um, but, you know, I would like to see more back cutting motions. And that's not something that um, we've seen a lot of because you think too, with more back cuts, um, the defender has to play off of the perimeter a little bit or else they get beat by that back cut. Um, we're just not back cutting enough. And I think that could, that simple little change there could help up a lot. And it also, you know, help us get more fouls too, because 
when someone's getting beat running to the rim, they kind of tend to grab or slap. So kind of satisfies both of our, our hopes there. And then that should open up more shots for shot makers on the outside if we are playing them. But, um, you know, the one thing that's difficult too is that Curry isn't a shot maker, but he's someone who we really need on the floor because he is a shot creator. Yeah, yeah. And he, he's just played very well these past two games. It'll be interesting to see how he plays against Tech on Saturday. Um, just touching base on some of the games since the last time we were on the podcast. Um, you know, West Virginia came back against Kansas State down 17 to win that game 71 to 68. Uh, you can look at that game two different ways. The first is um, obviously a very tough character-building game. It's great to see this team continuously battling when they fall behind early. We, we've we kind of seen that all year long. That shows great character and a lot of heart from not only the players, but the coaching staff to, to still encourage them and, and not think they're out of it. But... Um, yeah, you know, it would be nice if we weren't constantly coming back from early deficits as well, especially since Kansas State only had eight scholarship players suiting up that night, and Jermaine Henderson had to take over for Bruce Weber because Weber was out due to COVID protocol. So in the end, it was a great comeback. It was exciting to win against a tough Kansas State team, but it's easy to find positives as well as negatives in that game. But you know what? Kansas State, yeah. They they hung tough with Texas when they had a lot of guys out due to COVID, and they just beat Texas Tech the other night. So, um, you know, in hindsight, that that was actually a pretty quality win there. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I think Kansas State and Oklahoma State were kind of similar. The only difference was that WVU didn't get blown out kind of in the first half of the first half. Um, but WVU played really good defense. I mean, um, K-State was hot in the first half, but they really shut them down in the second half. Um, they held WVU held both Kansas state and Oklahoma state to 40% or less from the field. Um, and they held Oklahoma state to 26 from three where Kansas state was kind of hot there. They, they shot 38% from three was, which was actually higher than what Kansas state shot from the field overall. So that's kind of an anomaly, but, um, Kansas state like, like shooting the three in that game, but, um, it was good to see because that was Taz's first game back. Um, he contributed a little, but you could definitely see that he wasn't at 100% there. And Sean McNeil just kind of caught fire, 26 points, tied his career high. Um, that's always fun to see. Yeah, for sure. And Oklahoma State, I mean, that was just finally like a nice relaxing game where West Virginia won. Even though there was a little, you know, stretch during the second half, they were letting Oklahoma State crawl back in it. Um, for the most part, we, you know, that was a pretty comfortable win. But um, unfortunately, we got to briefly talk about the Kansas game. Um, You know, lots of points allowed in the paint versus Kansas, over 50. That is just unacceptable. And it made the second half of that game just very, very tough to watch. Um, You're never going to win a game allowing your opponent to score over 50 points in the paint. So what did you think about the Kansas game? Yeah, I think, you know, Kansas just found a way to exploit WVU's defense. And that kind of worries me long-term because it's a, it's something that could be replicated by other teams who, you know, are, are patient. Um, so Kansas kind of wanted to get into the paint. They wanted to, you know, take advantage of WVU's help defense there, which we've seen all year. I mean, we've seen teams get into the paint, kick it out to the corner. WVU's done a better job of covering that up, but 
what that allows is that you're getting people on the that backside block, you're getting people crashing into the lane, and they're getting wide open shots. And you know, their defender is the back of someone who's defending the ball carrier because we're helping in double teaming. And we're helping in double teaming because we have players on the court who just aren't great at defending. Um, and it's it's a interesting dilemma because what do you do? Like, do you just allow Sean McNeil to guard someone in the post and hopefully he doesn't, you know, get exposed or do you help with Gabe and then leave the big guy behind him wide open um, for an easy two, a guaranteed two. Um, And I I don't know the answer to that, but it's something that I think Huggins is going to have to figure out. Um, WVU did go one, three, one zone there for a little bit against Kansas and Kansas just absolutely shredded it. Um, It was ugly. I feel like I want to say Kansas probably scored, 10 or 12 points in a really short amount of time um, without even really trying. Um, you know, Bill Self's a great coach and he kind of knows how to game plan around that. So it makes it really tough. And then, you know, you could argue using more other zone schemes like a two, three zone or a three, two or a box and one or something like that. But, you know, thinking about that is that we're all already a really bad rebounding team. Well, I wouldn't say really bad. We're below average um, in zones, notoriously kind of, limit your ability to get rebounds. So that's another kind of shoot yourself in the foot moment where the solution to the problem could hurt you in an area where you're already hurting. So um, I'm hoping Huggins can f- figure out a way to fix it. He's a hall. He should be in the hall of fame um, for, for, you know, one over 900 games. So I'm sure he'll figure it out, but it's tough. It's a really tough situation. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I feel like if our offense picked up a little bit, you know, that might cover up some of, some of the defense problems that we've had here and there because, you know, you almost have to be perfect on defense when you're shooting in the 30 percentile from the field and not getting to the line a lot. So, um, you know, I don't want to talk about that Kansas game any more than I have to. So yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to move past it. Uh, you got anything else before we get into the preview? Um, I have one more interesting note here that I thought was interesting. So three stats that all kind of say the same thing. So over the past four games, WVU has not had any, had more total steals than any of their opponents, which is surprising because at the beginning of the season, we were the team who was generating some of the highest steal rates in the country. WVU has not lost the turnover batter in the past four games. So that means WVU has turned the ball over less than their opponent in the past four games. WVU has seven more turnovers than assists in the past four games. That is something I've noticed a lot when I look over, you know, the box scores and get notes together is we just don't have a lot of assists on our, on our buckets, which, um, yeah, I don't know why that is, but uh, we don't. I mean, even when we score a lot of points, our assists aren't anywhere near where you would think it would be. No, it's bad. Like, I, I don't – I understand we have some really good ISO scores, but I, I don't know. Like, you know, when we have some shooters, we have guys who can slash. Um, you know, we have some athletic big men who, you know, might be able to do some lobs to. And there's just no passing. There's no flow. It's just, you know, set a screen, dribble around it, and then do you um, it's it's not a pretty offense, especially when you have guys struggling and um, I haven't really seen any kind of game plans around that to get more ball movement um, to, to get more guys open 
Um, because sometimes the easiest way to get a basket is by hitting someone on a pass to get them open. Um, and it's really concerning because, you know, assist to turnover ratio is important. And whenever you're not really turning the ball over a ton and you're still not at a, you know, one-to-one ratio or better, that's tough. Um, you know, it just kind of goes to show you that it seems like there's not a lot of offensive creativity. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And really that's been the knock, um, on West Virginia for many years now, just not a lot of creativity on offense. Definitely. All right. So uh, lastly, we got the Texas Tech preview. So let's get into that. West Virginia takes on number 18, Texas Tech, this Saturday. And the games aren't getting any easier for the Mountaineers. Tech is a team who is shooting 47% from the field. WVU is going to have to play solid defense against the Red Raiders because they are not the type of team you want to get into a shootout with. So what are your thoughts on the Tech game? Yeah, Tech's going to be really interesting because, you know, especially after the past few games where we've really struggled offensively and Tech, you know, is a really good defensive team. So, um, you know, if we get cold again, which is likely, you know, how are we going to battle back? Um, This is going to be a game where, you know, we're going to have to continue, like we've said before, attacking the rim and hoping we can get people into foul trouble because right now that seems like our most best and reliable out in some of these games where we're struggling shooting. Um, so that's really kind of the thing that I'm looking at most is, you know, can we get something going other than free throws? Cause I think we're going to be able to get to the line a decent amount, but are we going to be able to get to the line enough to win us a game? Yeah. Yeah. And even though Texas tech has a new coach this year, you know, they're still in the upper class of this conference. Um, they've already beaten Texas and Baylor, two teams that West Virginia just struggled against. So it's going to be a tough game, but as they say, styles make matchups. So never count West Virginia out of this game. It's it's all going to start with limiting the UTEP transfer, Bryson Williams. He he likes to step out and knock down threes here and there, but he's also very, very dangerous close to the basket. So one other interesting thing about this team is if you look at their box scores, there seems to be a different guy who is their leading scorer every game almost so it's really hard to pinpoint on who they rely on um for points and that says a lot about their team because you know when they can rely on different person night in night out you know that makes you a pretty solid team yeah definitely um and like you said you know with the new coach they haven't really lost a step especially with that defensive identity um you know, and going into Big 12 play, they were a team who I kind of thought might have been a paper tiger because their non-conference schedule was really bad. Um, but, you know, I guess it kind of helped get some cohesion between their team, get some rhythm going. And, you know, they've improved. Um, and they're a team who I thought wasn't a top three team coming into Big 12 play. And they're really kind of looking like one. So um, WVU can't afford to lose three in a row. They need to figure out how they can get the 500 or close to that in the big 12 so that we can get into the tournament. I do think we're still a tournament team. We just have some issues to figure out. And um, this is the perfect time to go in there and turn the tide a little bit against the hot team. Yeah. Um, you know, at the beginning of the season, when we were making our predictions, I, I thought they would go about 500 in conference play and I'm, I'm still sticking with that. I think they're going to go, you know, either one game below, one game above, or right on the nose, 500. And um, 
but yeah, you're right. We, you know, we, we got to start stealing a couple of these games that we're expected to lose because, um, you know, in big 12 play without a doubt, there's going to be a couple of teams that sneak up on us and beat us as well when we're favorited. So um, Texas tech Saturday looks like a good one to steal. So let's go Mountaineers for sure. And before we uh, close out, I had a, a fun little session for you. Um, you know, we've, done these the past couple episodes so i figured we'll continue the trend um so this one is more of a so the first three questions are going to be based on stats from the last four games current wvu players um and i want you to choose which player you would prefer to have of these next three um you know in whatever context whether it be offensively defensively whatever so um first one player a he is shooting. This is so. This doesn't include Baylor. This is the previous four games before Baylor. Just to clarify, um, player A shot was is shooting fifty percent from the field, five three point attempts per game, averaging thirteen point five points per game. Player B shooting forty six percent from the field, um, four threes per game, and averaging fifteen points per game. So, who would I rather have, or who are they? Who would you rather have? Um, give me player A because I think it's Jalen Bridges. Yeah, you got it. The second one was Sean McNeil. <laughs> yeah, and you know me. I'm a big Jalen fan, so give me Jalen Bridges. All right, this next one's fun. Um, so which one is a more effective big man? Okay, so player A shooting 7.5 shots per game, 3.5 rebounds per game, 1.8 blocks per game. Player B is averaging 9.5 shots per game, 6.5 rebounds per game, and 1.3 blocks per game. Hmm. One of those is definitely Gabe. I will take uh, I'll take player B in that case. That's Jalen Bridges. No, is it? <laughs> I'm player, player A was Isaiah Cottrell. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually shocked some of those stats were as high as they were. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so... Um, this one is who is the best, I guess, overall intangibles player here. Um, player A averages six shots per game, 6.3 points per game, 1.3 steals per game, and one assist per game. Player B, five shots per game, five points per game, 1.3 steals per game, and two assists per game. Uh, give me player A. That's Gabe. Gabe? Uh, who was B? Ketty. Okay, I knew it was one of the point guards. I actually thought it was going to be um uh I thought it was going to be Johnson and Curry. Oh, yeah, that that, that would have been a good one too. All right, so the next 3, I got guessed that player. So these ones are a little bit more simpler, I think. Um in games in games against quality opponents, this player is top 3 on WVU in offensive rating, rebound rate, assists per game, and block box plus minus. Uh, who is it? That's what I'm yeah. guessing. That's yep. Gabe. You got it. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was crazy. That his offensive rating and assists per game are top three on the team. Oh right. yeah. I knew he was up there in assists. That's kind of what, uh, gave it for me. Okay. Two players. Um, WVU has two players with a one-to-one or better assist to turnover ratio. Name them. Ooh, we have two of them. Yeah. <laughs> Is Keedy Johnson one? Yep. Uh, and the other one. 
Ah, man, that's a tough one. Has he played a lot? Yeah. Uh, there's no way it's Taz. I will say, I guess Malik. Gabe. Gabe. Oh, I should have <laughs> known that. I just said he led the team in a, pretty close to leading the team in assists. I, I just like the, how he's kind of the leader in so many different categories. It's fun. Oh, man, he's the man. He's irreplaceable. I mean, when he leaves, I don't know how they're going to fill their shoes. I know. It's going to be tough. Last one. One player takes more mid-range jumpers than the number of dunks, inside shots, and three-point shots combined than, that they take combined. Who is it? McNeil? Isaiah Cottrell. Oh, okay. I mean, I know McNeil takes a lot of threes, but, you know, I figured he's got hardly any dunks, and he does like the put up a deep two a lot yeah i thought that was crazy that you know we have our six foot ten center putting up more mid-range shots than inside shots and three-point shots combined especially when he's an outside shooter um really interesting kind of trends because i mean just looking at things it's, it's kind of an odd team i mean um looking at the interesting collection of players that we have we have big men who can't make a layup we have you know, uh, a small forward size player who's leading our team in rebounds. We have, you know, a couple really ISO heavy, sharp shooting guards and no real point guard. Um, but up until this point, it's worked pretty well. And, you know, I think they'll, they still have a really interesting collection of talent that, um, again, I, I think we can turn the ship around and um, still make some noise in the tournament because, you know, the Big 12, I know everyone's talking about is how tough it is. Um, and this is just, if you can make it through, get into the tournament, this is the best um, preparation that you can get because um, no other team that's a non-Big 12 school is going to be able to have this level of competition. Yeah, 100%. And, and you're seeing it even when um, these teams get in the tournament because didn't we just have Baylor and Tech in the Final Four last year? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I mean. Honestly, I, I think the Big 12 is the best basketball conference in America from top to bottom. Because, I mean, honestly, unless I'm forgetting someone, I can't think of one easy out this year. I mean, is TCU and Iowa State that bad? I don't think they are. I would say, I mean, even Oklahoma State had a big win. Kansas State's had a big win. I mean, I I really can't think of anyone who, I mean, TCU um, but TCU, it's really hard to tell because they, they played a bad non-conference schedule. So what team is going to show up in Big 12 play? But they might be the worst team. Um, and even then, you know, they're going to be competitive. They're going to win a couple games here and there. They might even, you know, get close to 500. They might win six games. Um, and, you know, going into the Big 12 tournament, whenever every team is kind of this closely matched, it's going to be fun too, because who's going to win the tournament? It could be literally anyone. I mean, I don't think Baylor and Kansas and Texas tech are head and shoulders above anyone. I mean, WVU could go on a run. Um, Oklahoma state could go on a run and kind of screw everything up because they can't make the tournament. So what happens then? Um, you know, Texas tech could win it. Um, it's just, it's, it's going to be a really fun season. And, um, you know, it's the perfect landing spot after playing in the big East for so long, because in the big East, you always kind of had, those eight to 10 teams who were just really just beating up on each other. And then you go into the tournament and you'd see, you know, all that hard work pay off. Um, and then the tournament games were fun too. And I think the big 12 
is similar to that. Not necessarily as special, but it's definitely in the competition sense really close. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it's just about getting hot at the right time. So, um, you know, it could be anyone. But hopefully we get back on track Saturday versus Texas Tech because I was, like I said, I was looking at that schedule and we got um, some SEC competition coming. And then right after that, it's right back to Baylor and Tech again. So, I mean, oh, man, it's just the gauntlet. And Arkansas is a solid team this year, too. So it's not like it's an easy SEC team either. Yeah, they are. Um, yeah, it's going to be tough. And I'm sure West Virginia is going to get on a little hot streak and uh, win some games. It's it's just hard to be super positive after that Kansas game. And then, you know, it's not like we played terrible against Baylor. That, you know, that was a game I wasn't super disappointed in. But, God, you know, that Kansas game just, like, deflated me. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, just how, how they beat us. Um just really frustrating and it, it's something that i think we can fix um you know you're not gonna have a night where taz only makes one shot from the field very often um and up until halftime we were in it it's just you got to finish and that's the issue that we've had and maybe it's you know just a accumulation of all those stressful games that we've had over the past you know few weeks where we're always battling back and having to come back and win the game from behind um it could be you know fatigue um so uh we played what three games in a week um and now we're playing two this week so guys could use some rest so hopefully we can um get some rest in between now and texas tech and come back and kick some butt yeah here's hoping so um as always guys thank you for listening let's root on our mountaineer saturday and we will catch you guys next time thanks everyone